Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. So we've got a problem here at Ruins of Empire HQ. After months and months of recording this free podcast novel, producer Sean had what we call a moment of clarity. Maybe it was because I ran out of money to keep his THC, alcohol, and Fritos morphine drip going. Maybe it was just getting to the end of this project and wondering what was next. Who knows? We're about to find out. The point is, the second book is about to start, and I need the money to get Sean properly medicated and productive. So right now, you can support this podcast by going to kickstarter.com, looking up Ruins of Empire, and reserving your print copy of Ruins of Empire number 2, Templum Venerous, right now. You can get signed hardback or paperback copies of Saturnius Mons and Templum Venerous, or just throw a dollar in to get your name in the acknowledgement section of Templum Venerous. It's a chance to show your support for this little project and a chance for me to get producer Sean drugged up and happily editing this podcast. Trust me, it's better for everyone. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, Book One of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. On the hunt for a lost civilization on Titan, the members of the Human Reconnection Project decided to rest after a hard trudge through the moon's forests to avoid being tracked by a corporate spy. Vago took the opportunity to sneak a dose of triple T, but was nearly caught by Althea, who gave him a drug to counteract the effects of triple T. While trying to explain why he had wandered away from the group, Vago and Althea stumbled on a herd of mammoths grazing in a nearby valley. Kronos joined the two to find out what was going on just before a sound in the distance triggered a stampede that left Vago and Kronos climbing trees to safety while Althea went missing. Chapter 6. Scholars have long debated the causes of the fall. Most have come to the conclusion that a complete collapse at the height of human civilization was inevitable. All it needed was the right trigger. Still, centuries later, we don't know what that trigger was. The records just do not exist. It is like a whole chapter was ripped out of the book of history, and we turn the page only to find a world on fire. From The Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization, by Martin Raff. Vago held onto the branch until the last mammoth, a relatively small calf that was still big enough to trample him to death, ran underneath his feet. After that, the forest was strangely quiet, as if the small animals, birds, and insects also beat it for higher ground. Or maybe the constant humming background of the forest was simply no match for the all-encompassing roar of the stampede. The Martian dropped to the ground, The clearing was wider than it was a few minutes ago. The smaller trees were snapped at the base, and the brush and ferns were trampled into the mud. The ground was littered with broken branches, crushed fruit, and leaves, but nothing squishy and red, which meant the balding little hacker was probably alive somewhere. Kronos! called Vago. Nothing besides the faint rustle of leaves in the canopy. Kronos, you okay? 
Kronos's voice answered from somewhere in the foliage. My body's intact. My resolve is somewhat broken. Vega walked in the direction of the voice. You hurt? Kronos wheezed and sounded like he was trying to cough up a raw oyster. He croaked out, I dropped the breather. Well, come on down, we'll get you another. I am curious on how you would like to accomplish that. Vago spotted the little man overhead, draped over a high branch like a naughty child over his daddy's knee. His frantically kicking legs were all that kept him from falling through the canopy. Drop, Cronus. Titan's gravity is weak. You won't fall near as hard. I am supposed to take your word for that, asked Cronus, struggling. Cronus! You will catch me, right? Vago rolled his eyes. Yeah, I'll catch you. Just drop. Kronos stopped kicking and let his body go limp. He lost his grip and fell through the lower tree branches like a big, screaming, pasty lump of stone. Vago repositioned himself as Kronos careened off several branches until he finally landed in Vago's arms. Titan's lower gravity made it feel like catching a large, awkward baby. Vago sent Kronos on his feet. The hacker clutched his chest and sucked in a few frantic gasps of air. You did as you promised. Even though it was you who threw me up there to begin with, I thank you. It was either that or we'd be scraping you off a mammoth's foot, said Vago, surveying the new landscape. We should find Althea. Or what's left of her, he added in his mind. They didn't have to go far. By the time they got back to the hill, he saw Althea coming over the crest. She was covered in mud and leaves, and had a few twigs poking out of her bright red hair. But she was walking. Althea! yelled Vago. You all right? Althea pulled a tangle of brambles from her hair. Bloody fantastic. She was sassy. That was a good sign. Not hurt or nothing, said Vago. Althea shook her head, and a couple of twigs fell out. No. I fell down when the mammoths charged, but I cozied myself next to a fallen log. They just ran over me. A bit lucky, I guess. Althea flushed red. I guess it was a stupid thing to do. Vago looked back in the direction of the stampede. Something else set him off. The noise called him like a dog whistle, only with much bigger dogs. We just happened to be in the wrong clearing. Ah, oh, hell. Althea seemed to realize the same thing. Oh, no. Isra. Ain't heard from her. Come on. They hurried back to the crawler as fast as Kronos, in his state, could manage. The vehicle was where they left it, beaten, battered, and tossed upside down. The four crates that had been stacked onto the cargo bed were scattered across the forest floor in the direction of the carnage. There was no sign of the expedition's leader. Vago ran up to the vehicle. Isra, you there? An annoyed voice echoed from under the crawler. Yes. Vago knelt down beside it. You hurt? I am fine. Just help me out of here, said Isra. Vago grabbed the side of the crawler and lifted. It would have been an impossible feat on Earth, but in Titan's fractional gravity, he was able to lift one side of the vehicle over his head. Isra was balled up under the cargo bed, 
As Vago held it, Isra slid out, got to her feet, and helped Vago push. After some straining, the crawler fell back onto its wheels. There was some ominous metal clanking inside, followed by a pathetic electric whine. The front windshield was crushed and broken off, and there were a couple of large tusk punctures in the door and in the wheel well. Isra looked at the crawler as if making a mental log of all the damage it sustained. She turned to Vago. What the hell was that? Every word felt like an accusation pointed directly at his head. Local wildlife? Vago hazarded. It was my fault, said Althea, approaching the crawler. We found the mammoths in a nearby field. They looked domesticated, and I... I guess I... I'm sorry. Vago tilted his hat back. It weren't that. You might have heard a loud trumpet call come from the northwest. About where we were thinking the city might be, if I'm any judge. Those animals, they were domesticated, and they responded to the master's call. That there is proof of civilization, right? Isra glared at Vago. No, it is my fault. I thought I could let you out of my sight for a moment. I want both of you to stay close from here on out. Understand? Althea nodded. Vago shrugged and said, Fine. Isra took a deep breath and looked back at the crawler and the crates thrown to the forest floor in the stampede. Her calm voice returned. This is good evidence for a civilization remaining on this moon. We should cover more ground while we still have the energy. Help me with these crates. They walked for several more hours, all the time headed towards the same blinking dot on a satellite map in between the Legiamar and the Krakenmar. Every moment of the way, Vago felt his mind slipping deeper and deeper into the haze. The scenery, for all its beauty, became a muted green blur with little accents of color here and there. The sounds all ran together until he felt like he was walking in the middle of a wildlife echo chamber. He had long since lost Carr's scent, although he knew the Marine was watching them from somewhere in the forest. That being said... They couldn't go much longer. Isra wasn't so much walking as lurching forward, propelled by her own stubbornness, and looked as if a strong breeze could blow her over. Althea and Kronos were in a better state riding in the crawler, but even then, Vago caught Althea's head nod as she tried to prevent herself from falling asleep behind the wheel, and Kronos was wheezing hard even through a breather. And the universe, being an entity that enjoyed a sick joke as much, if not more than most, played its part. Driving at the edge of a steep embankment, the strange, granular sand seemed to turn to liquid beneath their feet. The hill became a river of wet mud, carrying the crawler and everyone else down with it before anyone could react. The wave swept them toward the bottom of the hill, leaving Vago and Isra buried up to their knees and the crawler up to its hood. And just as fast as it moved from under their feet, the land was solid, hard-packed dirt. Tom gang. Vago muttered, pulling himself out of the wet earth. Everyone okay? Althea shut off the engine and sat back in her chair. Where to find? Shall I get the tow cable again? 
Isra laid flat on the ground in order to pull her legs out of the hole. No, this is pointless. Not without some rest. She freed her legs and rolled over to get a look at their surroundings. We may as well stop here. Help me set up the shelters. Althea grabbed her bag from the back of the crawler. I would like to check up on Kronos and Vega while we do that. While Althea gave Kronos a checkup, Vago helped Isra with the shelters. They weren't much, just a heat-reflective material pulled over carbon alloy frames, useful for protection from both extreme heat and cold, and, despite its appearance, could withstand some heavy weather events. they just finished the fourth shelter when Althea called him over. He sat down on the crawler's passenger seat and Althea began her examination, starting with the retinal scanner. Feel any different from the last time I looked? Not especially, he said. He added in his own mind, If you don't count that every moment my mind is slipping farther and farther away from me, I'm peachy. Althea sat back and checked the readout on her screen. Are you sure? Your endorphin levels are tanking even worse than earlier. I'd imagine you'd be seeing some mental effects by now. Do you have any sense that the world around you is dreamlike or not real? Do you feel like your actions or your thoughts are actually yours? Only every day of my life, said Vago. Then aware that sarcasm was not helping him, he added, but nothing more than normal. Are you sure? You needn't play the tough guy act for me. Vago jumped up. I'm sure! Tanzandu, I'm sure! What are you accusing me of? Vago stopped. He wasn't sure why he had an outburst like that. A flash of fear crossed Althea's face. Then her expression hardened. I'm not accusing you, Vago. I'm just trying to make sense of this. I've got two patients exhibiting two wildly different reactions to the same environmental agent. If I'm to make any sense of it, I have to know what's happening. Now, sit down. Her voice contained all the warmth and caring of a rattlesnake rattle. Vago decided to do as she asked. Althea continued her examination. While she took his blood, Vago found himself saying, What makes you think what me and Cronus have are related? Althea shook her head as she inserted the blood sample into a black, palm-sized device with a screen across the front. Honestly can't be sure of that either, but I've got to start somewhere. You both have symptoms that started around the same time. If they are not related, then I have literally nothing to go on. Part of his brain found itself willing her to check his pockets, but he forced the thought back before he could say anything. Kronos, meanwhile had settled back on top of the crates and used his immersion goggles and glove to manipulate objects in a world only he could see. Something gave him quite a start, and he sat bolt upright and pulled the goggles off his head. Isra! Althea! Something strange is happening! Isra, securing the shelter, stopped and approached the crawler. What is it, Kronos? I tapped the air, listened to the light. A place that still has old earth tech would use both. But I found something strange. Althea got up to listen to him as well. Vago just grumbled. Yeah, we found something strange too. He's sitting on our supplies spouting nonsense. Isra flashed him a quick glare and turned back to Kronos. Radio frequencies? Kronos cracked that weird sadistic grin of his. Exactly right. Light and air. It's mostly corporation military, but I found a blank spot in the middle. Isra cocked her head. Interference from the city? No, 
interference would sound different. Like two sounds competing for the attention of the ear. This is blocked out. Nothing there. As Carlos continued to talk, something foul in the air caught Vago's attention. It was light, far away, and strangely familiar. Gonna go check something out, muttered Vago to the others, and then he started tracking the source of the smell. He stumbled through the forest and became aware that the haze was hitting him harder and more acutely than he had anticipated. He tried to focus on the scent and on his situation, but the more he tried to focus on it, the more the rest of the world slipped away. Then, everything around him changed. He could have sworn he was on Titan, but all he could see around him was the scrub plains and rocky outcroppings of the Martian steppes. He held a rifle and walked up a steep slope toward a set of rocky peaks. There were other men around him, and he felt as if he knew who they were, but whenever he tried to look them in the face, they always turned away at the last moment. But he was sure he knew them. Familiar voices chattering in his native language proved that. They talked of victory, triumph, and vengeance. They joked about death and boasted about future battles. He followed his comrades in between towers of red rock. The stench, light and faint just a few moments ago, grew stronger. He reached the summit of the hill and looked down on a nomadic village. He remembered these people. They were raiders, thieves, murderers, and rapists. They plagued his colony for years before the security force discovered their hidden campsite. This hidden campsite, come to think of it. As soon as the thought occurred to him, the entire village caught fire before his eyes. He knelt down and watched his comrades moving in the village below and shooting fleeing families. Vego? He breathed the air. The stench overwhelmed his senses, but it smelled good, justified, vindicated. It smelled as if the gods themselves rained fire upon his enemies. Vego? Now he was in the village among the ashes. He walked in between burnt tent poles and smoldering piles of ash. He found a body laying face down on the ground. Its blackened skin peeled away, revealing charred red and brown muscle and blood. The body curled around something Vago couldn't see until he knelt. Vago, talk to me! Vago moved the body and saw a tiny hand peeking out from underneath. A baby, crushed by its mother, trying to save it from the flames. He jumped back in horror and had to set his jaw to keep from being violently ill. Vago, can you hear me? Isra, help me to get him to lie down. He continued to walk through the smoke and flames, compelled forward by some figure moving in between the tents. A shadow that seemed always ahead, but moved out of sight at the last moment before he could see it. The faster he moved, the faster it ran out of sight. "'What is wrong with him?' said Isra's voice, somewhere in the distance. Oh, "'I think it's the depersonalization episode. Help me get his coat off so I can get this in his medical regulator.' The figure stopped, with her back to Vago. He could see it was a woman with long black hair and a simple homemade dress. He approached slowly and felt, without seeing her face, close to her somehow. He stopped just a few meters away and reached out to touch her. Mother! As fast as it happened, Mars was gone. In its place was Althea's retinal scanner and, behind it, her concerned face. He blinked at the light and covered his eyes. Jesus, Althea! 
That ain't nothing to wake up to, especially twice in one day. Althea leaned back. It looks like he's cognizant again. Vago, can you sit up? He did. Easter and Kronos were both there and watching him with deep concern on their faces. Something about that caused a wave of annoyance in Vago. Almost as an act of defiance, he moved to get to his feet. Althea tried to steady him. Careful, Vago. You just had a major episode. Vago shook his head. What happened? It was like you were sleepwalking. At the end, I think you called me Mother. Do you remember what you saw? Already, the vision was disappearing like a dream in the first few minutes after being awake. But one part of it remained as strong, if not more powerful than ever. That smell was overwhelming, sickening. He became aware that Isra was shielding her nose from it. Kronos, still breathing through the mask, held it tighter than normal. That smell, said Vigo, walking towards its source. I smelled it in that dream. What is it? asked Isra, her voice muffled by her own hand. Vago didn't answer, but continued to walk through the forest. Given the overpowering strength of the odor, its source couldn't be far away, and true to his instincts, he only walked a few meters through the forest until he emerged onto the crumbled remains of Tarmac. The forest was starting the process of reclaiming this land. Small trees and bushes pushed their way through breaks in the asphalt. He could see a few small groves exploiting larger holes. Still, there was a strange sense of stepping back in time as his boots touched hard, paved ground. A few meters from the forest, he came across a body. It was probably human, although it was burned so badly that Vago had some doubts. The face was an incomprehensible mass of charred flesh, and the hands and feet were burned all the way to the bone. The body was oddly proportioned as well. The legs and arms were longer than a typical human, the torso was slim, and the head appeared more oblong. It was as if the entire body was put on a rack and pulled longer like a piece of clay. The only clothing was a pelt of animal skin as badly burned as its owner. Vago knelt down and held his hand over the body. Heat radiated off of it, and the skin crackled as it split. Whatever happened here happened only a few hours ago. A large plume of smoke from the still-smoldering inferno a couple hundred meters away supported that idea. He swallowed hard. They had caused this. Just by coming here, maybe just by landing on the planet, they had caused this to happen. Vago didn't know how, but he knew it was true. He turned back toward the forest where Althea, Isra, and Kronos were themselves coming to grips with what they were seeing. There were other bodies scattered around that patch of asphalt, all as badly burned, if not worse, than the one at Vago's feet. Oddly, Vago didn't feel much of anything. Maybe it was the drugs, or maybe it was a defense mechanism born out of a lifetime of horrific sights. But Vega wondered if he was preparing himself for a string of human atrocities that would be worse than this. In the distance, just beyond the largest plume of smoke, there was a grandiose building that stretched across the entire length of the tarmac. It gleamed white and curved inward, encompassing a fraction of it within the crescent. Isra took a step forward and nodded in the distance. We should check out that building. Survivors, if there are any still around, would have likely sought shelter there. Isra led the way, 
and Vega grudgingly followed. Civilization had arrived, and Titan would burn before it retreated again. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. Thank you.